Welcome to yet another action-packed episode of Got Fitted Japan. I am your host, Johnny. And I am your second host, Jeremy Deschner. That's right. And as you find folks know, Got Fitted Japan is about two dudes. Booze. Japan in the news. That is right. That is right, Jeremy. And Jeremy, what episode is it this evening? Six motherfucking 07, brother. We have done it. Yes, 607. I've been waiting for episode number 607 for 607 episodes. I've been counting the episodes down every single week. I'm like, man, 607 is going to come one of these days. One of these days. I mean, we've been podcasting for almost 12 years now. 12 years every single motherfucking week. And finally, we've reached it. And faders, because we've reached this epic episode, we do have a special, very special guest on the show. Now, before we talk about the special guest, I got to say that he's not in Japan, nor does he have much to do with Japan. But what he does do and what he did do is so wild that when we had the opportunity to have him on the show, I said, oh, hell yeah, we got to get this guy on the show. I don't care where he's from, if he's from North Korea, South Korea, East Korea, West Korea, China, Mexico, or even the Bronx, we got to get this guy on the show. So, faders, we are greatly honored to have an established author of mandatory reading on our show this evening. This legendary writer has written such titles as NYPD Law and Disorder, NYPD Through the Looking Glass, NYPD's Flying Circus, Grand Theft Auto, the book, not the game. How to Escape a Sexless, Loveless Marriage. I think I know the answer. It's called Divorce. Run. Hmm. (laughs) And Dickheads and Debauchery. Faders, it gives me great pleasure to welcome the one and the only Vic Ferrari to the show. Vic, welcome. Konnichiwa, guys. How's it going? (laughs) <laughs> it's going great. And a little Japanese, not much. That's about it. Oh my goodness. So Vic, um, you are a retired cop that's now an author. Yes. And you were a police, you were a detective for 20 years in New York City. Yeah, I, uh, I joined the New York City Police Department when I was 21 years old. I was a cop for my first 10 in a precinct. I did... Um, a lot of plain clothes, pickpocket, robberies in progress. Uh, I worked in the narcotics division. I bought drugs, did search warrants. And then my last 10, I was in the auto crime division, which is organized crime. So did a lot of work with the mafia, um, stolen vehicles exported out of the country, changing of vehicle identification numbers, uh, identity theft and homicides. Like you ever saw the movie Heat when they're on a crew of guys. And if, yeah. you know, th- th- these guys, 
doing homicides or commercial burglaries, you roll with that. I mean, the goal is to, you know, take that whole crew out. Okay, right I've got so many questions. I know Jeremy's got a million questions too. Um, first off, um, please tell us your police story. How did you get involved in policing in New um, York City? Yeah, growing up in the Bronx in New York City, I, you know, I grew up in the late 60s, early 70s. I watched all the movies in the United States, like The French Connection, The Seven Ups, uh, Dirty Harry. I knew I wanted to be a cop. My parents did everything they could to stop me. They wanted me to go to college and do something else. And that's all I wanted to do. And got out of high school, did a lot of, you know, bullshit jobs until I took the police exam. I got hired at 21 and then I just rolled with it. Nice, nice. Were you the good cop or the bad cop? Uh, in interrogations, it depended. It depended on the vibe. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, all right, so you guys go to a bar and you're talking to a couple of girls or whatever. Sometimes you need one guy that's, they just warm up to one guy in particular. They don't like the other one or something happens when you're putting the handcuffs on them that they, they just, for whatever reason, they don't like one guy. It's time to bring someone else in. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a vibe. Yep. Right Check on. Handcuffs. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, okay. I've got so many questions about your Me books too. and so many questions about policing. Um, I'm going to let you choose which one do you want us to do first? Probably policing. Guys, right? your, it's your show, your ball of wax. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm lucky enough to be alone for the ride. Whatever you want to ask, go for it. Oh, don't say that, man. We'll be here all night or all day for you. <laughs> Jeremy, do you have any questions? Oh, yeah, I got a question. So first off, I want to say we love police. We've had another policeman on from another country, from Canada. His name was Ari, Ari K. We had him on, yeah. He's a, he was a, he was a great a great guest. And he had a lot of fucking great stories. I want to ask you um, a question that's on that's right on the tip of my brain. As soon as you mentioned you were from New York, I remembered an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience where Joe Rogan talked about there there was a a group of police officers that the whole entire like a class of that year I think it was called the seventy five they all went to like prison at one point because they were all corrupt did you ever experience anything like dealing with those guys or any any really nasty guys like that okay so what he's talking about there was a precinct in brooklyn in the um right. there, were two, there was actually two precincts in brooklyn that went bad oh. in the um just before i was hired the seven five and the seven seven see new york city police department has five boroughs and in those five boroughs you have 77 police stations so okay. 77 precincts each precinct has anywhere between at least 100 to 200, 300 guys, like in Midtown. So you're right. talking about a 35 to 40,000 person police department at any given time. So back then, I think they were a little, what, what happened was after, after Vietnam, a lot of the guys that came back went into police work. And not all of them, but there was some that they just weren't right. I'm not saying every guy that came back from Vietnam wasn't right, but there were some that just weren't right and did a lot of things outside the outside the boundaries that were wrong. And then you had, you know, young and impressionable kids coming up and rookie cops are like puppies. They're eager, eager to please. They just want to fit in. They want they want a locker. They want to ride around in a police car. So sometimes they'll warm up to the wrong guy who will show them something they shouldn't know or get them involved in something they shouldn't. Um, I will say that New York City Police Department, by the time I got hired, went the opposite way. They were paranoid about corruption. Um, 
They had internal affairs, they had field internal affairs, they had civilian complaint review board, they had inspections. So inside the NYPD, you had a bunch of um, policing the police type units. Right on. And rightfully so sometimes, but other times they got really carried away. It's like, really? I mean, you got to be kidding me. Like around Christmas time, you get pulled over by a couple of guys in plain clothes like the KGB, and they want you to open your trunk of your police car to make sure you weren't Christmas shopping on duty. So was there corruption? Yeah. Was there a lot of it? No. Um, they kind of cleaned it up by the time I got hired. But there were guys that went bad. I mean, definitely. Right on. Oh, go ahead, Johnny. Okay, so, all right, you used to work with some of these guys, and uh, from one of your books, there was one guy, I think his name was um, El Diablo, was that right? El Diablo wasn't a dirty cop, El Diablo was just a wild man. He was the kind of guy, like, any any good person he ever worked with, they got divorced, like, he was just, come on, just one more bit, I mean, he was a lot of fun, he was Irish, but the Spanish cops used to call him El Diablo the devil, and uh, I know the story you're getting at. Um, he's in a bar in Midtown and he's talking to a couple of hookers. And <laughs> if you ever watch on television, like you've got those horse and carriage rides that go around Central Park over by the Plaza Hotel. Mm-hmm. One of those guys parked his horse and carriage in front of the bar and he walked in to use the bathroom. And the guy's wearing a top hat and a velvet coat. It's obvious who he is. And El Diablo said as a joke to him, hey, you mind if I take the horse for a spin? And the guy goes, yeah, sure. And he went to the bathroom. El Diablo was drunk and he told the two hookers, come on, ladies. He put them in the horse and carriage, grabbed the whip, had somebody remove the blocks and off goes the horse and carriage with El Diablo and the two hookers. Well, the horse realizes the horse realizes El Diablo doesn't know how to, you know, control a horse and carriage. Now the horse, the horse, the horse wants to go back to the barn. So the horse starts going through red lights on Fifth Avenue heads for Central Park, and then starts trotting back to the barn. Well, El Diablo can't control the horse and carriage or the hookers. And a couple of other horse and carriage guys go, hey, wait a minute, isn't that Billy's horse and carriage? And it's out of control. So you kind of had like a a chariot race or Ben-Hur that the other two handsome cab um, horse and carriage things had to chase him into Central Park. And one got in front of him, and one got in back of him to slow down the horse and carriage. Like, so nowadays he would have totally gotten arrested and everything. The hookers took off. They wanted no part of anything. He ran to a cash machine and took out $500 and gave it to the horse and carriage operator for stealing his horse and carriage for 10 minutes. But he almost got killed going through, you know, going through Central Park in a wild chase. Wow. <laughs> what a story. So, it's true, though. When you uh, I, I was I was raised in the South. I'm from Texas. I, I grew up around horses. I've been riding since I was a little kid. But uh, it, once the horse realizes you're not in control of it and oh. it knows where the barn is, it'll bolt for the barn. It'll, it'll, That's exactly it'll what happened. And he said, like, back, I, yeah. I asked him about I asked him about it. He goes, well, it started off OK. He says, but I guess I was supposed to make pull left instead of right. And he goes, the horse instantly knew I didn't know what I was doing and just mm-hmm. went, oh, I'm going back for some oats in the barn and took off and started going. through. But picture that going down like Fifth Avenue, just blowing red lights. Dun, 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 oh, I could have gotten killed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's some Indiana Jones shit right there. Well, in the seventies, I mean, that stuff happened all the time. You know, Mean Streets. <laughs> yeah, I love me. That's a great movie. It sure is. It sure is. Oh man, that's great. Um, you worked in many different parts of the police department, like many different sections. Which part was like your most exciting, on a day and day basis? Uh. 
it would be a tie between narcotics and the auto crime division, but I like the auto crime division more because you could pick your excitement. In narcotics, it worked like this. So I worked in Manhattan North Narcotics. There was 250 cops and detectives just doing the northern part of Manhattan. So think of it this way. And then you had Manhattan South Narcotics. You had 500 cops just doing narcotics in Manhattan. So each team was broken up to like a sergeant and five or six cops and detectives. But it, it became like a pickup game of basketball. So say for argument's sake, you're just sitting around the office. Most of your team's down at court. Another sergeant would grab you and go, hey, Ferrari, you're coming out with us today on buy and bust. So it was just, it was almost like, you know, like, like when you were a kid and, and to play baseball or football, all right, I'm going to take him, I'm going to take him, I'm going to take him. And buy and bust operations work like this. So whoever was making the arrest sat in a car or a van with the sergeant. Then you had two or three detectives in other cars parked around the set, which is where we used to call it like a movie set, which is where the buy was going to take place. The undercovers had pre-recorded buy money. So what we would do is we would take $100, we would break it into 20s, 5s, singles, 10s, and we would photocopy the money. Hmm. This way we had the serial numbers. So when we arrested the bad guy, he'd have the buy money on him. It, it presented a stronger case, even though nice. the undercover said, I did a hand-to-hand -hand transaction with this guy. Well, you know, two detectives grabbed the guy 10 minutes later and he still got the pre-recorded buy money in his pocket. It makes for a stronger case. But um, narcotics in the in the early 90s was like the Wild West. It was like a rodeo. Like we could lock up 20 guys on a corner and leave and five seconds later, they were back. I mean, sure. more guys just out and selling. It was like, it was shoveling sand against the tide. But there were a lot of foot chases and you know search warrants. People going out the window. You'd be you'd be knocking. You'd be hitting the door down, and people would be jumping out windows. And so, I mean, yeah, I would say narcotics was the wildest. How? Go for it. How about any? How about any homicides? Did you do any homicides? I wasn't a homicide detective, but um, if we were working on a case, a lot of times some of the homicides and different crimes that we solved would come up on wiretaps. Guys talked. And uh, we were doing one right. particular case where we had Chinese nationals. They were shipping 30 stolen cars a month to China. And it was, um, it was it, the Chinese were, do, were running the warehouse and the shipping aspect of it. You had a Jamaican middleman who had farm teams of car thieves that he was paying 500 bucks a car to steal for him. And the Chinese were paying the Jamaican 5,000 a car. So when we started going up on the wiretaps, so we had Asian cops, monitoring the Chinese, had a Jamaican, couple of Jamaican cops monitoring the Jamaican guy because of his dialect. And we had Hispanic cops monitoring the car thieves because most of the car thieves were Spanish. So one of the thieves, one of the thieves starts talking about, you're going to wind up like this guy in Connecticut. So like, well, that's interesting. He's, it, it sounds like he's talking about killing somebody and somebody got whacked in Connecticut. Well, what wound up happening was we stumbled upon a guy that was doing murder for hire. I mean, oh, at the, yeah, at the end of the day, um, I think we got him convicted on five or six homicides. We knew wow. of about 13 and his buddy that flips said it's higher than 13 because I'm just telling you, he goes, he goes, he didn't bullshit. And he goes, he would talk about or sometimes like off the record hits that like he killed somebody and he wasn't bragging about it because maybe he thought it would come back to haunt him. But yeah, so we would go up on the phones and then we would gather evidence. And then when we would take the case down, there's always someone looking to flip. There's always someone looking to get in on from the rain and, and make this shit storm stop. So usually the first guy that comes in gets the best deal sometimes, yeah. depending on how bad they are. And then they'll help us. Well, 
what wound up happening was the wheel man on a lot of these homicides flipped. He wasn't the trigger man, but he had gone out and stole cars and, and gone on, you know, dr driven the getaway car on a lot of these homicides. What was it like as a police officer at the time you saw a dead body or, or, or a homicide victim? Because that had to be shocking. I remember the first time I saw a dead body and it, it still haunts me to this day. Um, I think it's in my first book, NYPD Through the Looking Glass. So in the police academy, they take you to the morgue. Okay. So in New York City, you've got a couple of morgues. I think each borough now has a morgue. In New York, it was Bellevue Hospital. And it was like going to a Jiffy Lube. You know, you go to a Jiffy Lube and there's bays. One guy's rotating tires. One guy's putting oil in. So Bellevue, their autopsy room had like six or seven slabs. And I mean, probably four or five of them were being used. And wow. I mean, it was just the most bizarre thing. Like you had the doctor, the ME there, and then you had techs, right? So aren't doctors. And they're using like, if you ever, if you know what a wizard tool is to cut muff, muffler pipe, you ever, you ever go to a Jiffy Lube and they're cutting a muffler pipe, that, 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 that tool, I can't yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this, that's that they saw the base of your skull. So when they do an autopsy, they saw the base of your skull from here and just pull your face off. Whoa. They take the brain out. And then they had like each, each um, state workstation had like a produce scale, like in the old days. And yeah. they weigh every organ. So then they take the brain and they put it in there. They weigh it. And the guy is writing it down. And probably nowadays they do it with audio. They're weighing it. Then, like, if they're going to do open heart surgery, they just cut your ribs open, pull it open, and they just start pulling shit out. And they go to town. They Damn. go to town. There, there was actually a, a woman there that died of an overdose when I was there. And they opened her up and took the baby out with the imbibable, biblical. Oh, heart. no, she was pregnant. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, there were a couple guys that faded. Yeah, so this, they, they basically let, you know, you, you, you see it before you actually get in the game. And then when you're a rookie cop, that's the dirty little secret. I mean, the old timers aren't going to search dead bodies and shit because you got to find their identification and stuff. Old timers, you know, you're 21 years old and an old timer flicks you a pair of latex gloves because here you go, kid. And, you know, I mean, people die without identification. And the worst is people that die like in their house or something. And they've been there for a couple of days. And yeah. depending on the size of the person, like if you're a big guy or a big woman, especially if you're overweight, they bloat. They can explode. Well, kind of, yeah. So what you got to do is like throw a sheet on them or like a, a comforter and kind of rock them and get right. get out and you'll hear it. It's like, it's almost sounds like a tire. It just, they just kind of melt. You it's know like what I mean? It's like burping and farting at the same time, right? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. It sounds like a big fart. Yeah. But there's got to be flies and maggots everywhere too. I mean, it's got to be absolutely hideous oh, to look at. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, if the apartment, yeah, if if they had the window open or a screen open or there was a fly in the house, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what happened. Oh, Jesus. Does does that fuck you up as a man? Like do you do you have like memories of that shit like if, if you're just like hang out at your house, do you ever go blah, 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 and it's like remember some gross shit? No. No, I, 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 I'm not wired that can't way. Can't chilly anymore. <laughs> One of the greatest, I'll tell you what, like a lot of the old timers I work with taught taught me some tricks like always carry a little thing of Vicks that menthol yeah. stuff under your you nose, can put right? it underneath your nose. Another trick is go into the kitchen and get coffee grinds and put it in a pot and then burn it on the stove. And that smell of burnt coffee grinds will mask to a degree. I mean, not the whole thing, but it'll mask to a degree, the smell of, of the DOA. 
right. coffee, the drink of the gods. Man, that's good to know. <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit about GTA. Um, so in the 1990s, I think it was like you stated that over 100,000 cars were stolen a year in New York. Wow. But yeah, 150,000. But most people don't drive in New York. I mean, most people take like, well, taxis and stuff. So what kind of cars were people stealing? I mean, anybody that had like anything with wheels or? Well, it, it, okay. Okay. So like the outer boroughs. So Manhattan, people have cars in Manhattan, but there's not really parking. But in the outer boroughs, like the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, yeah, a lot of people have cars. They'll commute into the mm -hmm. city. They're not going to drive into the city. But if they're working in Queens or Brooklyn, you know, there's, there's plenty of cars in New York. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Well, when I read that, it just said New York. So I just assumed that it was like Manhattan. I didn't know that. You, I mean, Long Island, yes. Everybody's got a car in Long, Long Island, especially if you go on the east part of the, the island. But okay, okay. Now, then I want to talk about Grand Theft Auto regarding like the process of a chop shop. Like when somebody <laughs> like when somebody steals a car, what do they do with it next? So they take it to a chop shop and what do they take off? Do they like, like take off like the serial numbers from the engine and the wheels or how does that work? Well, there's a lot. Of, okay. So there's a lot of reasons to steal a car. Okay. So. Oh, I know. You, you got kids. All right. So let's, let's start with the bottom feeders. Okay. The bottom feeders are kids, which stealing a car is a gateway into the criminal world, right? It's you go for a joyride. So kids figure out how to steal a car and they just drive around. They hold onto it forever. Junkies heroin addicts, crackheads, they steal cars and they basically live in the car. It becomes like theirs. You know what I mean? Like they'll hold on to it. Like we used to say all the time, if anybody that holds on to a stolen car for a couple of days and is using it, it's a, it's a kid or it's a junkie or it's just someone that's a moron that got their hands on a stolen car and is going to use it until they get caught. Right on. <laughs> people that steal cars. Okay. So now you also have people that steal cars to commit crimes. That's organized crime or a guy that's going to do a bank robbery, a guy that's going to, do a hit and run to kill somebody with the car and, and, and dump it and set it on fire. Okay. You also have cars that get reported stolen. It's insurance fraud. We used to, do, we used to do cases like that all the time. You go out and you buy a brand new car or a lease. A lot of times leases, you'll buy a lease. You're putting more miles on it than you're supposed to. It got dinged. Your kid got threw up in the back seat. Now you got to turn that thing in after three years and you know, you're going to get screwed returning it because they're going to hit you up your 10,000 miles over and there's damage to the car. So burn what do the they fucker. do? Yeah, right. They burn it. They give it to a friend. So we used to set up cases like that all the time where informants would bring us people's cars that want, just wanted to get rid of their car. You know, so we would round them up as far as stealing cars for profit. OK, so you've got cars. Get, mo most of the time it's for parts. So a lot of the junkyards in New York City back in the day. Right. They had guys that they trust, you know, not like informants or anything, but guys that are associated with the junkyard. They need parts like most most collisions, right, is a front end hit. So you're going to need a radiator. You're going to need a bumper skin. You're going to need a bumper. You're going to need a hood. You're going to need a fender. Right. So what they would do is they send guys out. Before LoJack and all these tracking systems, the cars would go directly into a junkyard, into a body shop. They'd shut the door. They'd take the parts off it. And then they would drive the car to another, they'd wait till late at night and they would drive the thing several blocks away and they would just dump it. Okay. But when probably in the early 90s, when, like I said, LoJack and OnStar and GPS systems, we were getting search warrants like crazy because these things were pinging in body shops and junkyards. We'd go in and raid the place. Mm -hmm. So what they started doing is they would steal the cars, 
they'd park them somewhere else for a while to let them cool off. Or what they would do is before the car even got reported stolen, like we did a case, what they would do is they would steal a car and they would park it in front of a school where all the teachers park, right? So school's in session. There's a million cars parked in the street. Then they would hire a junkie with a little ratchet set. It was the, we, we used to film these guys do it. It was the funniest thing in the world. So you got a stolen car parked by a school, people coming and going, no one's noticing anything. You get this little guy with a little ratchet set and he just appears that he's working on the car. He's just, you know, you see him, he's got the hood up. He's not taking a thing off the car, but the bolts. And what he's doing is little by little, he's unbolting the fenders, he's unbolting the doors, he's unbolting everything, right? Probably about five, six o'clock when all the teachers leave, a van pulls up, three, four big guys jump out and they just pull the sheet metal off the car. Throw everything into a van, take off, and the strip car is just kind of sitting there. Whoa. So the guy, one, one guy just unbolted everything, Right. And then a man pulls up like a couple hours later and these big fucking guys come out and just start ripping the shit off the car. Cause we couldn't figure out, but then I said, wait a minute. I said, cause at first we thought we was like, how could they have driven it there? I mean, I've locked people up driving. It looked like a clown car, no glass, no doors. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen guys driving cars on fucking um, milk crates. The seats were gone. I drove a car back to the precinct one time with a set of vice grips. Cause they took the fucking steering wheel. Oh boy. <laughs> so another re- okay, so that's for parts. Another reason to steal cars is they'll change the vehicle identification number. So it's called tagging. So in the old days, what guys would do is I would come you come to me and you say, let's let you come to me and you go, hey Vic, I, I, I want a I want a newer BMW. How much you got? Uh ten thousand dollars. All right, I'll tell you what. For $10,000, I can get you a 2018 to 2020 BMW. Does that work? Yeah. Give me the money. Holy shit. Yeah. I go to an auction and I buy a 2017 BMW that's been fucking burned, wrecked. I get it for like $2,000. It's never coming back to life, this fucking thing. Okay. I take all the VIN numbers off that car, the public VIN in the window, the one on the doors. I try to get as many VINs off that car as possible. Now I got the VIN numbers and I got the title and I just destroy the wreck, throw it out, shred it, whatever. Mm-hmm. I pay a steel guy 500 bucks to go out and steal a 2019 BMW. Then I take all those VIN numbers and I put it on the stolen car. Then what I do is I, you got the title, you go to DMV. Now the, the, it, it's more complicated than that, but I, I don't want to tie up too much time, but that's basically the way it does. Nowadays, they don't even go through that with getting a salvage code. What they do, it's called cloning. So cloning is, I've got to say for argument's sake, I got a cousin in California. I have him take a picture of a VIN number of a brand new Mercedes Benz that I want in California. He takes a picture of that VIN number. I got a paper guy down here in Florida. The paper guy produces me what's called a VIN kit. He'll, He'll produce me a phony title. He'll produce me VIN stickers. I go out and steal the same Mercedes and I just put all those numbers from the phony kit on that car and register it. But now the problem with that is there's two cars floating out there with the same VIN number. So if somebody car faxes something or you're going to see the cars registered in in San Diego, California, and it's in, you know, uh, Valdesta, Georgia. So that's a lot of times we'll catch, we used to catch on to stuff. It's like, there's no way two of these cars exist. You know, it's not like identical twins. Yeah. Wow, interesting. 
All right. What is your most bizarre case that you've had to deal with? Uh, the one I was telling you about with the car, the stolen cars getting shipped to China. I mean, you had, you had, you had 30 cars getting stolen a month going into shipping containers in Brooklyn. Then they, then they would get trucked out to, to um, Newark, New Jersey. Then they got put on trains and they got railed to Long Beach, California. And then they were getting sent out to Pacific Rim. Whoa. While we're in the middle. That is what you call organized crime. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But while that's going on, the thieves are bragging about killing people, which I, was, I touched upon earlier. So that, that, that got us into the homicide aspect of it. Um, these guys were also like they would travel. I mean, th these guys were based out of the Bronx and Westchester County, but they would travel on a weekend down to Virginia and hit a Harley Davidson dealership and right just on. take out crates of motorcycles and helmets and shit and then bring it back up to the Bronx and sell it. And while we were doing that case, right, some thief thought it would be funny to break into the the garage of our guys who had all this stolen shit from Virginia and steal their shit. And then they went and killed the guys. So that was another homicide we got involved in. It just, I mean, it, 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 there was no rhyme or reason to the way these guys would just kill somebody just for shits and giggles. <laughs> Domino. Wow. These guys are pure that evil. That was definitely man. the most interesting. Oh, they, they were evil. Wow. Pure evil. Now you said that you worked in pickpocketing. So pickpocketing, is that really a thing still? Like, I mean, I know people pickpocket is kind of like a, a crime of opportunity, but is there still like groups of circuits moving around? Like, kind oh, yeah. of like yeah, there yeah. is Gypsy. Italy? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like, I said pickpockets, but like I was in a plain clothes unit in a precinct that's called anti-crime. So basically you get an unmarked car, you just, you just in plain clothes and you go around. And if we saw pickpockets, we would grab them. If we saw guys breaking into stolen cars, we grabbed them. If we saw a couple of guys hanging around outside a bank, we'd watch them, see where they go. Are they sizing up the bank? Are they, are they casing the bank? Um, yeah, pickpockets still a thing. More in Midtown Manhattan. Um, a lot of South Americans, um, we were told that there was like almost like a school down there in Colombia where basically people were taught how to, you know, pickpocket and, you know, the women were the best because a woman bumps into you, you're not going to get as, as um, raised up as a guy crashes into you, yeah. you know, um, we did a lot of gypsies would come around and uh, they were into every scam you could possibly think of what they, they would, um, they go to apartment buildings in the middle of the day where old people were home and they would bang on the door and say, listen, the super called. Um, the place is ex uh, filled with cockroaches. Um, you know, we, we got to spray the apartment. And then when the old lady would let them in, they would, you know, rob the place, you know, go take her jewelry and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you want to hear a bizarre story? All right, I'll tell you yes. the Hansel. All right, I'll tell you the Hansel and Gretel story. So early in my career, I used to go to bars and drink and meet girls and shit. And my old partner's partner, before he worked with me, worked with a guy that was an amateur magician. And the guy was a pain in the ass. So you're at the bar talking to girls, buying drinks. This fucking guy would come over and he starts pulling flowers out of his sleeve. He's pulling gold coins out of their ear. He's basically cock blocking you with magic. I know the type. So I, told, so I told my old partner, I go, what the fuck is up with this guy? Will he just stop? And he goes, I wish he would take police work as serious as he does his magic show. <laughs> so anyway, they get a call one night on a midnight to the base to a basement apartment. So it's a six story walk up and there's two, there's two apartments in the basement. So they go up to the first door and they bang on the first door. And nobody answers. 
It's late at night. My old partner goes to bang on the second door. Just before he goes to bang on the second door, the magician tells him, you know what? We made enough noise down here. Let's get the fuck out of here. Because he was lazy. And my old partner goes, nah, come on. I'm going to knock on the door. He goes, come on. I'll buy a cup of coffee. Let's get the fuck out of here. So my partner gives. He goes, all right, let's go. So what they didn't know was behind door number two, the superintendent of the building was selling coke out of the building and got addicted. He became a cokehead or a crackhead. I forget how it went. But anyway, there were, his suppliers were these Yugoslavian guys that were supplying him with coke on consignment. Well, he wasn't paying back and he ran oh, up a bill. Shit. So in the drug oh, world, they don't send like friendly reminders or shut off your cable. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they showed up in the middle of the night with this hot looking girl. They bang on the door. They put her in front of the door. He sees the super thinks it's a good looking crackhead. He's going to get a blow job or sell us some blow or maybe he'll get laid. He opens the door. The two Yugoslavians bum rush into the door. They start pistol whipping him. Where's the money? Where's the coat? He doesn't have the answers. So they shoot him in the head. They roll him up in a carpet and they take him into the incinerator and they throw they throw him in the um, um, the um, the furnace. So while he's burning up like a Puerto Rican fire log, they go back into the apartment and they're ransacking it. While they're ransacking it, my old partner and the magician are outside about to knock on the door. Poof. So what they didn't know was the two Yugoslavian guys tell the girl, if these two fucking cops bang on this door, let them in. Walk them through the apartment. When you get past the threshold of this doorway, jump on the floor. We're going to come out and shoot them in the head. We'll throw them in the incinerator and get the fuck out of here. Holy shit. What a busy incinerator. So the magician saved his life. Yeah. So what winds up happening is when they, when they left the building, my partner saw a car parked in a fire hydrant. It was the getaway car that belonged to the female. He writes it a ticket. So weeks later, when the superintendent goes missing and the family wants to know what happens to this guy, they see there was a call there like two weeks before. They pull my old partner and the magician and they go, you know, do you remember this call? And he goes, yeah, I wrote a parking ticket on the way out of there. They trace it back to the girl. She shits, she shits her pants. She gives up the two hitmen, trying to minimize her involvement in it. They lock everybody up. But this is like in February, right? So they had to go to the building and shut the fucking heat off. To pull the guy's bones and skull oh, out of the incinerator, out of the um, furnace. Wow! Yeah, so if you don't know, that's if a you don't know about New York. What's if that? You don't know about New York. It's it's it, and if you have a house or an apartment with a radiator, it's either super fucking hot or it's ice fucking cold, and you can only regulate that by opening the window. So when they go in there and shut the fucking heat <laughs> off to get. His bones out. Oh, the entire thing is freezing exactly. their fucking nuts so that's off. Story from one of my books. It's called oh, "Last Night a Magician Saved My Life." Because I and the funny thing is, now my old partner, we used to call him Cancer because he killed more people than cancer. He had gotten into a couple oh, of gun battles and he always won. So when I got paired up with him, I'm like, man, I says I don't know how to take this. He just goes, "Be ready." <laughs> but yeah. I never got into a shootout. I call him there. Boba Fett, man. I'd be like, "What's up, Boba Fett?" Uh, yeah, he Rambo. Fucking killed a guy. <laughs> he, he fucking killed a guy. I'll never forget. And again, this is before I'm working with him. I'm, I, I came in early in the morning and I was going down to court and I'm driving over the Bronx River Parkway and I see a fucking car chase going up the Bronx River Parkway. It's like 7.30 in the morning though. And I had a Hyundai at the time. So there's no way I, I was getting involved in this. I wouldn't keep my fucking, I could outrun it. Yeah. So I see this car chase going up the Bronx River Parkway. I think nothing of it. I mean, New York, you see car chases all, think nothing of it. What ends up happening is these guys rob a check cash in place and they take off. 
and there's a car chase going up the Bronx River Parkway. My old partner, Cancer, had just done a midnight, and he sees the car chase go roaring by. He's in his own car. He decides to follow it. The car chase winds up in a, in a, in a parking lot in Westchester County Medical Center, and now it's kind of like almost like you see in TV. So the bad guy's car is placed one way. There's a bunch of cops faced this way. The doors are open, and they're shooting at each other. They're just shooting at each other. My old partner parks up on an embankment and walks down. He's got like, it's like watching a football game at the 50 yard line. He's watching, he's literally at the 50 yard line watching a gun battle going back and forth. All he's got is his five shot snub nose, which isn't known for accuracy. Yeah. Cheap. It's a five shot 38. It's got a tiny barrel. We got it. He goes, I got to get involved in this. So he says he takes aim and he shoots at the bad guy who's got the door open, who's focusing on the cops in front of him. So the first shot goes high. And he says, the guy heard it or felt it. He says, because the guy turned. He goes, now he sees, I said, oh, fuck. Now he sees me. He goes, so now he wheels. He takes a shot at me. My old partner, Cantor, gets a second shot off and hits him in the armpit. And he said, he heard the guy go, ah! And the guy is trying to, yeah. now he's like waving the gun. He's like trying to, he's now he's just popping shots. The third shot he got off, he goes, I hit him right in the top of the fucking head. It came off. I go, what did it look like? He goes, it looked like you throw a tomato against the wall. He goes, I'm like, Psh. he goes, his head just sprayed. And he went down into the well of the car. And he goes, the other guy gave up. Because the other guy, I think, got tagged too, but not as yeah. bad. So the other guy gave up. So they caught one guy. I think two got killed or one got killed. And, and one guy wound up giving up. Nice. Jesus. Dead now, or alive, you're coming with me. Yeah, right. Now, uh, you want to hear another story like that? Yeah, Fuck yeah I want to hear another story like that. Right. I want to hear all the so stories work, like that. So I work with this other guy. Oh, he great guy. He did midnights. He did most of his career in the midnights. Like he never saw fucking sunlight. And like he, used to work, he used to work with me in another unit. And he was making so much overtime that in the NYPD, you got guys that um, they monitor your overtime. They call the integrity control officer. They're supposed to monitor and overtime and make sure you're on time and all this bullshit. So anyway, this guy, he was making too much overtime and the integrity control officer who was Italian says, uh, you know, no more overtime, no more arrest. That's it. So this guy is out in the parking lot. He's complaining about it. He goes, that little guinea prick. He goes, <laughs> the window opens up and the little Italian guy looked like Danny DeVito goes, I heard that, and this little guinea prick wants to see you in my office. So long story short, this guy, my buddy, gets transferred to Midnight's in this slow precinct. They think they're going to fuck him. But what winds up happening is he's so active. He's such a good cop on the Midnight's in the slow precinct. He's just, like, doing God's work. He's making all these great arrests. So one night in this area, it's it's right underneath the um, the Whitestone Bridge. It's all marshes. It's called Ferry Point Park. It's just – it's – it's 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 an abandoned dump filled with marshes that go on and on and on. So he says he's driving around and he sees a car with its headlights off driving off into the, into the marshes, into the woods. So he goes, they're going to dump and strip a stolen car. Why else would you shut your lights off on a weeknight at two o'clock in the morning? Right. Sees a four door Lincoln go into the woods. Him and his partner turn their lights off. They wait a couple of seconds. <clears throat> they get out. And they start walking into the marsh. What do they see? Two guys walking a cab driver with his arms on the head of his head, walking him into the woods. They're going to kill him and take his cab. So the cab driver's got his hands up and he's begging for his life. And these fucking guys are going to fucking do him in, in the woods. So they yell, police don't move. A gun battle now ensues into the, into the marsh. 
The bad guys get back into the Lincoln. They take off. My old partner gets into a gunfight out the window of the car. He shoots. I go, you, you got to be the worst shot in the world. He put two holes in their fucking license plate. I go, what the fuck is that going to do? He goes, you try driving in a stolen car and driving in a car with this guy driving. Long story short, they crash. They crash the Lincoln into a pole and they get the two guys. So that's another story from one of my books. But yeah, th that shit used to go on all the time up there. Holy shit. That's a great story. Man, that sounds like fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. Podcasting is so boring. You have no idea how boring our job is over here in Japan. No idea. You guys are upbeat. <laughs> yeah, we do all right. <laughs> Man, all right. I'm going to ask you some um, abstract questions, if you don't mind. No problem. Have you ever arrested someone that you didn't like from high school? No, but okay. Um, in this latest book, NYPD Law and Disorder, I went to Catholic school and... I was goofing around in the hallway. My English teacher came out and bitch slapped me, which they could do in high school. Yeah. And I was pissed. But I mean, you know, I'm not going to get, you know, I, I was a good kid and I didn't want to get suspended. I let it go. Ten years later, there's this crackhead going around, punching women in the face and taking their handbags. Right. And each each event is getting more and more violent. It went from him just taking their bag. Now he's punching him. Now he's dragging him. We got the guy's license plate number. We got the getaway yeah. car. So we're looking for this fucking guy. We find him, pull him over, <laughs> bring him into the precinct. He's a fucking troll. He's got, uh, but what's that shit? Psoriasis all over his arms. He's taking all over the place. Nasty fucking crackhead, right? He looks like one of them doll trolls from the fucking 90s, like with the puffy hair. Yeah. I start calling up the victims. We got to do lineups. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, right, right. So I start calling the victims up to do lineups. I get one and they're all, I says, you got to meet us at the precinct at such and such a time. We're going to do lineups. Okay. One of the victims, she didn't want to get involved. I, I can't, I, I'm too trying. So I told my old partner, I go, I'm going to go to this woman's house. I got to close the deal. I got to get her to come in. He goes, no problem. I go to the house. I knock on the door and who opens the fucking door, but my old high school English teacher. And really? now he's a born again Christian and he's trying to save my soul. Praise Jesus. And I'm like, dude, I just got to get your wife into the precinct to view the lineup. He, have you read the good book? And I'm just like, dude, 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 we get to, you can save my soul later. I got to get your wife into the fucking precinct to do a lineup. So in typical, so back in those days, when you did a lineup as a cop, I was still just a policeman. The homicide guys would do the lineups. They would find fillers to come in and stand in the lineup. Because usually they don't like using cops because this guy was a troll. You got to find somebody that looks like your guy in the lineup, right? So you can't have five clean cut guys and a crackhead in the lineup. It just doesn't work. So what winds up happening is we come in and, and all the homicide teams are out doing homicide investigations. I'm going, fuck, where are we going to find fillers? So I go to this dive bar on fucking Fordham Road and I pull out five Hall of Fame drunks out of, out of the bar. Rough looking fucking drunks. I promise them 20 bucks a piece. They jump in the bar. They're right. They're all fucking drunk. Tough, uh, tough fucking guys, right? We get to the fucking, I, I throw them in the lineup and they start breaking the, the trolls balls. Next thing I know, I'm getting the lineup ready and they start choking the bad guy in the fucking lineup room. So I got to break it up. I go, God, you can't keep this fucking answer. I go, if he's all mocked up, this is, they're going to throw the lineup, up, right? Yeah. Each lineup. So it was five lineups, right? Yeah. Each lineup, one through four, the women come in confidently, number three, number three, number three, number three. So Flaky McFlake Flake. Yeah. The last lineup is my old teacher and his wife, right? 
That's when things start getting weird. So for one, the troll wants to change his spot in the batting order. I don't want to be number three anymore. I says, pick another spot. I don't give a fuck. So he chased, so he walks over to spot number five where there's a drunk standing there. He goes, get the fuck up. I'm sitting there. Guy goes, go fuck yourself. How about, what did he say? He goes, how about I knock what, what, what's left of your teeth out of your mouth, right? Nice. So you get a dust up, right? So I move him into spot number five. I bring in, I bring in my old teacher and the wife. She's staring right at him, staring right at him. And I go, is there anybody you recognize? And if so, where do you know him from? She goes, I don't want to ruin this man's life. I go, what? She goes, everybody deserves a second chance. I go, lady, this isn't a clinical research study. Do you realize you got punched in the face and you got your bag taken? I don't want to participate. So while I'm arguing with them about participation, drunks number three and five or three and four jump up and start beating the shit out of the fucking bad guy in the lineup room. I got to drop what I'm doing and go behind the like, if there would have been a camera in there, so picture like behind the glass, me and my partner running in to break up two of the fillers from beating the shit out of our bad guy, right? right? right so we break up, we break up the fight, right? With the victim still in the next room, and the bad guy blurts out, "Did she pick me out?" <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Like now the lineup is fucking blown. You know what I mean? Now I can't use that one. But fucking anyway, clown. Yeah. Yeah. So long story short, um, uh, he did get convicted, I think, on four or three out of the five or four out of the five. I don't know. This is 30 years ago. And yeah. if there's a defense attorney listening, I don't remember what spot he was actually in. I'm trying. I'm paraphrasing. So it's all good, man. It's all good. It's a story, man. We're all we're all telling stories here. No, it's, right. It, right. It yeah. It's all stories. So that's, right. So that's like, OK. And then there's another story where I had two teachers in high school back to back years that sent me to summer school. They were assholes. And um, most teachers are. Sounds like it. 15 years. I mean, there's more to the story, but 15 years later, I'm doing election duty and they come in to vote. And I'm like, you fucking believe this shit? So when they came out of the voting booths and they're walking by, I threw my arms around. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Long time no see. Looking at me like I was fucking crazy. Crazy but, with uh, a gun and a badge. <laughs> I was friendly enough, but they just didn't expect it. But uh, yeah, those those are two like you know stories as far as people from my past that I ran into again. Awesome. Next question: Is there really such a thing as a citizen arrest? Yes and no. Um, you can't throw on a cape and travel at night and, or wear an Abraham Lincoln mask and a baseball bat and right wrongs. Damn it's it! Just, you're gonna get yourself in a lot of trouble. But God damn it! Um, Spider-Man lied to me. Yeah, I mean, if someone's breaking into your car or someone's breaking into your house or you see somebody, um, you know, something in progress and and it's a a crime, people get involved. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you would call, we don't call it a citizen's arrest. We must say the victim or an innocent bystander intervened. Like one time um, there was this guy that smoked angel dust and... um, he saw this attractive female coming out of a building. And what he didn't know was her boyfriend was parked around the corner who was a bouncer at a Manhattan club. Cool. He punches her in the face, takes her bag. She runs around the corner, her boyfriend, who has the club anti-theft device and basically clubs the guy that fucking beat the shit out of his girlfriend and held him for us. So, you know, that, that, that would go on sometimes where someone would intervene. We used to call it holding one. So like the dispatcher would say holding one for shoplifting, that would be a security guard or 
Um, I'm holding one for an auto break in. The guy came outside and finds a crackhead in his car and, you know, decides to hold him for the police. Okay. Next question. Have you ever deputized a civilian? Yes. <laughs> no. Wait, can you deputize yeah. us? Deputize <laughs> us right. right now, man. Yeah, I would love a badge. The day I graduate the police academy, um, my my, you know, back back then there weren't digital cameras. So my my parents throw me twenty bucks, tell me to go get Chinese food and get the film developed for my police academy ceremony. I go up to my neighborhood, the main drag. I double park. Now this is thirty something years ago. I double park my Hyundai. I leave it running. I walk in to the film place and I go, you know what? I should know better now. I'm a cop. I shouldn't leave my car double parked and running. I come back outside and there's a guy with a hoodie on getting into my car. I run up to the car. I go, get the fuck out of my car. And the guy fucking throws my car in reverse. I'm fighting with him and takes off. I run in the middle of the street. I got my gun in one hand, my shield in another. An old man stops in a, in a, in a, Ford LTD. I said, move out of the car. I says, I says, I, someone just stole my car. He goes, jump in. My son's a cop. I'm in a car with a 70 year old man chasing my car. And he wasn't a bad driver, by the way, but we lost him and we lost him. And um, I went to the precinct tail between my legs. I was so embarrassed. The cops were laughing at me. Um, <laughs> filled out a report. And uh, a couple hours later, they caught him. Nice. Minus nice. the radio and a couple other things he sold out of the car. Ah, bummer. Took it to the chop shop. Oh, man. Um, okay. I've got so many great questions. Um, okay. In New York City, do cops really call cheap revolvers Saturday night specials? Is that really no. a thing? No, a Saturday night special is, is a usually 30. a five-shot. To, to, to what I was... My, my culture, a Saturday night special is a five shot 38, hmm. like a cult detective special. Man, so chips lied to me. Oh, <laughs> chips. <laughs> what did chips stand for? California Highway CHI. California Highway. Just the I in there. The eyes a little. The eyes little. It's just added. It's, C, right. it's California Highway Patrol. That's it. Uh, Johnny, can I throw a question in? I would love you to. All right. Um, I'm going to, I always ask the crazy question. So, supernatural. Did you ever get anyone that saw a ghost or a UFO that you had to investigate? Oh, good question. I don't think UFOs would want anybody from the five boroughs. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think like you always hear about people being abducted and probed in, 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 in the heartland. Um, are there UFOs? I have no idea. I'm not going to say they aren't. I'm not going to say there are. I just don't know. That's above my pay grade. But I, I think they wouldn't want anybody from the five boroughs in their spaceship. That's They're just me. Clean perverts, man. They only want your butthole. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I never saw anything like that. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. What is the most accurate police movie you've ever seen? And you can't say Running Scared. <laughs> uh, on TV, I would say Law and Order, because in Law and Order, I mean, they got to plug it. They got to get it together in an hour. The, the one difference with law and order, which is bullshit, is when you see like the district attorney interviewing witnesses and interviewing um, going on the record with the bad guy. They don't do that, really, because they don't want to get called to the stand and testify and get cross-examined. That's what they got us for as the buffer. Um, law and order is pr pretty accurate. I have watched it years, but when I did, it was pretty accurate. Movies, 
Um, I mean, they all take poetic license because they have to, and I get it. Um, I'd say the French Connection is a really good one um, in that it shows the infighting between um, cops and federal agencies. It shows um, guys guys that, um, you know, just the stress that police work takes on you, but not not like in the movies where the guy is sitting there crying or doing ridiculous shit. But, you know, there's a couple of scenes in The French Connection where you see the guy waking up in a bar. Not that that's happened to me, but I know guys that it did that became alcoholics. Um, I would say The French Connection is probably one of the, the realest. It shows the human condition. Nice. Okay, then next question. What is your favorite police movie? Mine is probably Tangle, Tangle and Cash or Tequila Sunrise because Michelle Pfeiffer is hot. She is, she was, is, and probably will continue to be. Fingers um, crossed. It, it's, it's a 1970s movie. It, it's, it's along the genre of the seven ups. It's called The French Connection. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a really good I've movie. Yeah. Oh, you did see it? Well, that's based on a true story. Um, what was going on was you had these Irish criminals that were going around kidnapping um, organ Italian organized crime figures and holding them for ransom. And in the movie, um, the police get involved in it. And then, you know, because the bad guys are posing as cops when they're kidnapping the bad guys, the, the mafia doesn't really know if the police are the police or they're the bad guys. And it, it's that's a really good movie. Very good movie. My favorite one is Bad Boys. I love Bad Boys 1 and Bad Boys 2. I know it's a I'll little bit, it's a little bit fiction. It's all fiction, but I, I fucking love those two you movies. Can't, yeah. can't go around causing property damage and, and, and getting into car accidents. I know, oh, I know, I know. Cut your balls off. You can't do that. I know, but still, I, there's so much fun. Yeah. They got a lot of good one-liners, that's for sure. <laughs> all right, I got, great one. I got one more police question. Okay. What is your take on police horses. Wouldn't motorcycles be better? Horses are great for crowd control. Really? Horses, like, we, okay, so for your listeners out there or you guys, if you ever make it back to New York or the United States, do Love. not go to Times Square on New Year's Eve. Don't do it. Been there, it's done that. Show. Oh, people are putting pens. Like when you see it from above with a camera, those, they're corralled in pens like horses. Yep. And it gets those people are in there from four o'clock in the afternoon and there's no bathrooms. So you're in the theater district. Unless you've got reservations to a restaurant, you're not using the bathroom. There's no place to use the bathroom. So people oh, are and yeah. changing tampons, throwing up in the crowd. It, it's disgusting. People are getting felt up, pickpockets. What's good with the horses is those horses come by. What they'll do is when it's time to get people out of the way or a riot's going on, the horse, the, the, the guy on the horse will make the horse go sideways. When the ass of that horse swings, I've seen people leave their feet like superheroes. If you get hit the side of the yeah. thing, you ever hear like he's a horse's ass? When a horse's ass makes contact with a human being, I mean, this should be an Olympic sport. I mean, the bodies just get thrown. So <laughs> that's that's what the horses are for, for crowd control. <laughs> Oh man, that is a great thing. Oh, one more question. One I've more seen question. it in real life. Oh, Texas, that's right. All right. Police. No, I was I was in New York in Times Square during during New Year's Eve in 2000 
2001 or 2002 was that? 2002 yeah <laughs> oh like you said horses asses throwing people over oh yeah over and like yeah there was people <laughs> shitting everywhere pissing everywhere changing tampons and it was all me Dude, oh, don't do it again, please. <laughs> I'm a savage. <laughs> All right. Police mustaches. What's the oh, history? Oh, yeah. What's the history? Oh. Where did that start? Rhode when Island. I was young and naive, I had a mustache. I haven't had a mustache in probably 25 years. But I, you know what it is? I think it starts off with, with, with young cops. You want to look older. No rookie cop wants to be called a rookie. No rookie cop wants the bad guys to think that they're rookies. So what rookies will do is, you know, you come out of the police academy and your clothes, you look like, you look like an action figure. You look like you just came out of a box, right? So what rookies <laughs> will do with their leather gear, when you got a, I've seen it, guys. Rookies, they'll, they'll rub their leather gear against the side of a building, like their handcuff case or their holster. They'll, they'll take their nightstick and just kind of like, rub it against a fire hydrant to get some marks on it to make it look like it's battle hardened um yeah right exactly right so and, and then like the first thing i did after the police academy was i got rid of those patent leathers and i got um black reeboks or referee shoes yeah and every now and then i would get in trouble for it not major trouble but you know you get told hey get rid of those you're not supposed to be one but it's difficult to chase somebody in shoes you know and if you got a foot post you're on your feet for eight ten hours referee shoes are a hell of a lot more comfortable than a pair of uh, patent leathers. Oh hell yeah! Wow, that's a great answer. You see I that? Answer. You see that in boot camp as well. Uh, a lot of people who, as soon as they graduate boot camp, they buy jump boots. Either they're even if they're not jump qualified, they buy the airborne like a range like Ranger airborne Ranger boots. You know, because they they want to feel like you just said, like they they're not just rookies. They just got out of boot camp. Right. So, right. So the mustache guys will grow mustaches, make them look older. So, you know, the bad guy, every, listen, the bad guys know you, the bad guys know they know. I mean, bad guys have been bad guys before you were a cop. So they know they, they know you're a naive kid with the mustache. You could have a goatee. You could have a Fu Manchu. They know, you know what I mean? But just a phase. They can, they can smell it. They oh, can absolutely. Smell, absolutely. They can smell the milk behind your ears, man. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, do you have? You know what? Other- as a as a martial artist, the same the same thing happens. Like you get a guy talking shit to you, who's like twenty five, and you realize he doesn't realize you've been doing mar- martial arts since that kid before, like ten years before that kid was even born. Right. And like he he starts talking shit to you, and you're like, "All right, kid, <laughs> we can we can solve this very easily." The criminals are the same way because, like, uh, you grow up around those people, you realize that they're not scared of you, man. And as soon as they fucking find oh, a small job. bit of weakness, a it's little chip job. in the armor, oh my god, they're they're just gonna jump all over that. Well, think about it. The only overhead most bad guys have is jail time. Oh yeah, really? You know what I mean? You don't see bad guys saving receipts and and, and writing it off on their taxes. The only thing a bad guy's really got to worry about is going to the can. So, I mean, it's in their best interest to, to know the street. Yeah. It doesn't scare them, too. And also, a lot of, a lot of criminals call, the, um, call prison uh, criminal, criminal university because they, they become yeah. better criminals inside. Yeah. Absolutely. They call college, right? That's insane. Jeremy, do you have any other uh, policing questions? Okay, one last question. Um, sure. What what was the like the on the uh, you know in the, in the movies and shit you see cops hanging from helicopters, you see them like driving cars really fast. Like, what was yeah. your 
Like I know that's that's the movies, but like, what was your like most exciting case or something similar to like that happened to you? I was at, I mean, working in the auto crime division, the dirty little secret in the NYPD is they don't want you chasing. Don't want you getting, especially for stolen cars. Right on. They don't want you chasing. Did we do it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> as long as nobody sure. got hurt, if you didn't crash your car, if the bad guy didn't crash into a civilian's car or another person, they look the other way. And here's the thing: you would you would you would never say you're chasing a car. You'd never say you're pursuing. You'd say you're following. Sure. But the dispatcher would figure it out because, first of all, they'd hear the siren going. Second, even even like towards the end of my career, like the last ten years of my career, I could put over a car chase. You'd never know I was in a car chase. Like <laughs> Central will follow in a sixteen vehicle. Um, you know, uh, Michael Four Peters, seven seven nine, New York license plate. Yeah, we're going left on Webster Avenue, going eastbound. But the dispatcher can tell by the sirens in the background. She can also tell the amount of distance you're making up. If I'm telling you I just turned off on one seven five and Jerome, and two seconds later I'm on two hundred fifth Street in Jerome, oh, I just went twenty five blocks in thirty seconds. Yeah. It's fairly obvious, you know. You don't need to be like a, a mathematician to figure out the formula. So they would call off the chase. But I, I was involved in car chases i would think around 100 maybe more wow nice nice cool. so cool yeah yeah it was <laughs> so cool man that's like shit that, like every every dude dreams of that shit when they're they're driving a car like what if i was in a, a heist and a cop was chasing me man everyone dreams of that shit that's awesome and you did it a hundred times or more yeah, but he, he was, was on the opposite end of the stick, though. Yeah, he was the, he was the cop. He was like, <laughs> he was the yeah, jumper. right. He's RoboCop, dude. He's chasing him, man. Yeah, Dirty Harry, you're dead or alive. You're coming with me. I'll buy we that used, for we, a dollar. We used to call it the oh shit. We used to call it the oh shit. Look. I know what you're talking about. I'll buy that for a dollar. That's a great. That's a great. RoboCop. Way. He hits a chick. It's a chicken. RoboCop is one of my favorites, my friend. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna look that up on YouTube now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great movie. We used to call it the oh shit luck. So especially with kids, kids would always give it away because they're naive. Like I remember one time we were in an unmarked car. I think we were driving a minivan and uh, we stopped at a light and it was a car full of kids pulled up in another minivan. And one of the kids wasn't paying attention to us and he spit out the window, not at us, just spit out the window. And I guess I had like that look, I had like a, I gave him a dirty look and the kid went, I'm sorry. And I go, that fucking car is stolen. You know what that's I mean? Like just despite his reaction, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, he's too fucking young. I'm like, the guy in the back seat of the car, I go, run that fucking plate. And then, you know, it's off to the race. But we would call it the hairy eyebrow. So the hairy eyebrow is like when a bad guy spots police surveillance, you get like that. You got made. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if you're doing surveillance and something, we call it that motherfucker just gave me the hairy eyebrow. Or we call the oh shit look. Yeah. Sweet. That's so awesome. Oh, man. Um, we could probably talk to you about policing for like another like a hundred hours, dude. Maybe days, weeks, years. But you've got books, and we want you to sell your books. So we got to talk about your books, man. You've got um, you've got what four policing books, and then you've got two books about a lot of different stuff. I want to talk about the policing books first. So yeah, you've, yeah, got, sure. you've got NYPD Lawn Disorder, NYPD Through the Looking Glass, NYPD Flying Circus. Oh, you also have Grand Theft Auto. Um, I know what Grand Theft Auto is all about. Love the game. 
Love the book even more, but the other three books, what are the differences between these books? Is it kind of like a trilogy? Uh, okay, so Grand Theft Auto is everything you wanted to know about the stolen car industry. There's car chases. There's um, It opens up with my the cancer. The guy cancer I was telling you about, we did a search oh, yeah. warrant in this mobster's junkyard out in Queens, and he finds a hand grenade in a, in a shoebox. And he's walking around with this thing. And I'm going, what the fuck are you doing? He goes, ah, pineapple grenade, probably Vietnam era. And I go, where are you going with this? He goes, I'm going to throw it in Jamaica Bay and detonate it. I go, first of all, you were fucking cooking the army. You weren't, you weren't an ordinance expert, okay? I said, put that fucking thing down. He wants to throw it in Jamaica Bay. I go, if you put it down and we call the bomb squad, they're going to come with all their toys and we're going to get like six hours overtime. We put the, we put the hand grenade back. I told my lieutenant, first lieutenant goes, all right, evacuate. We put, you know, we put, they put the crime scene tape. The next thing you know, we got fucking helicopters coming. The news is there. The bomb squad is there. This fucking... He, Cancer was just walking around with this thing in his hand like 20 minutes before. So <laughs> that's how NYPD uh, Grand, uh, NY, uh, Grand Theft Auto starts up. There's a ton of stories in there about how, how the auto crime division worked and just all car theft stories and scams. And it also, there's stories in there to protect you about what to look for with buying a car. And the other books, um, they're all short stories. Um, Lauren Disorder, the NYPD's Flying Circus and NYPD Through the Looking Glass. It's those books are just it's not really a trilogy. It's I've got so many stories from my police career. And when I talk to my friends, they remind me of things and I'll jot it down. It's almost like Larry David with Seinfeld. Like I'll say um, uh, like my old partner said, remember the time my brother in law got stabbed in the ass? They bought they bought a piece of um, knockoff counterfeit furniture on the side of the road Mm -hmm. and. I remember we went to um, his brother-in-law's house for the Super Bowl. And I go, where'd you get this couch? He goes, oh, we got a great deal on it. He sits on the couch and a spring goes through his ass. Jesus. So we got to take the fucking guy. Some and then, people like that. After he gets a spring more in for his that ass, in Japan. We're, we're taking him to the hospital to get the tetanus shot. He runs back and throws his leg through the side of the fucking particle board couch and he breaks his toe. <laughs> so now we want, we're in the fucking emergency room with this guy. And like three weeks later, who do we see on the side of the road? But the fine Southern gentleman that sold him the couch and love seat. So we start talking to him. And long story short, we catch him with all his counterfeit furniture and they had a couple of guns in the car, in the oh, truck. Shit. So I, I'll think of stories from my, my childhood or the characters I worked with. I'll jot it down. And like my books, you can pick them up and just flip through it at any page. Each chapter's got like a topic. And then there's a bunch of short stories about the cops I worked with. The, the interesting criminals I arrested, the scams that went on. Um, there's a chapter in this new book called Moonlighting. It's got everything from a guy, Bobby Bagels, who, who couldn't work a minute past his shift because he had to run home and bake bagels. He smelled like a burnt Bialy. And then he didn't want to do his police work, so we'd pay the fucking homeless squeegee guys $5 a piece to go into the next precinct so we wouldn't have to arrest him. Um, <laughs> I mean, he had a cop that was a, a mortician and a dentist and a cop. I, I just, it just the, the crazy characters that I worked with. But that's awesome. So those three books are just chock full of just amazing stories from your past. 
And okay, dude, those are awesome. Like as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm gonna buy at least three of them. I'm gonna like, I don't know which ones. I'm just gonna buy them all. Well, fuck it, I'll buy them all. Fucking yeah, hell yeah, I'm gonna support it. Faders, you gotta support this guy. You've heard so many amazing stories, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. So you gotta get all these books, man. Now, now, just to take a step back from policing, you've got how to escape a sexless, loveless marriage. I saw my book. I didn't write that. Really? Well, so there's no. somebody with the same name. No one does. Yeah. I, I didn't. I know. I, I didn't write that book. There's another Vic Ferrari. Vic Ferrari. Yeah. Dude, holy shit! You got to go back to New York and arrest this guy's ass. Oh man. What about dickheads and debauchery? Is that you too? Dickhead, dickheads and debauchery started with me and a buddy of mine. We just talking one day about the ridiculous things people do uh-huh. to shorten their life expectancy. So <laughs> I know a couple just, of those guys. <laughs> yeah, me, me included. So there's just that book is chock full of ridiculous stories of just people doing ridiculous things, getting themselves, you know, shortening their life expectancy. That's awesome. It's kind of what we do every week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> Are you drinking a Sapporo over there? Uh, no, it's an Asahi Super Dry. I've got two six packs in the back that are about 95 degrees American, 45 degrees Japanese. <laughs> Fahrenheit centigrade. Never mind. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Mathematics. Um, what is your most popular book at the moment? Uh, NYPD Through the Looking Glass. I think that has to do with the cover. Just the old police car, and it's got the spyglass on it. All my books are selling well, but for whatever reason, that one just sells. That's awesome. What book are you working on now? I'm writing a book called Catholic High School Diaries. It's about um, my childhood and, and and going to through Catholic high school. And there's a lot of funny stories in there. Like you would, we, you would walk into my Catholic high school and they had two little cutouts and one had Jesus and one had um, St. Raymond. And sometimes you'd walk by and the kids would light a cigarette and stick it in his hand. It was just like, <laughs> there's a movie. If you ever saw that, you guys probably know this movie, Heaven Help Us. Did you ever see the movie Heaven Help Us? It's nah. a really- it's about Catholic high school in New York City in the late 60s. It's a, it's a lot of a lot of the funny stories and stuff from my childhood. Not really my bag. <laughs> What's that? Not not really my thing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, whatever, good. man. We're very happy <clears throat> to each his own. Now, I, I got another question regarding writing. Um, how did you get started? In writing, did you have like a lot of paperwork that you're doing every day and you started getting more creative with the paperwork and stuff? And then from there, you kind of like built on to like actually writing like short stories and then you started moving forward to like your own books or was there a process to it or have you always enjoyed writing? I always wanted to to write a book, but I didn't think I could do it. And my friends used to always encourage me. You got so many stories. You know how to tell a story. You should write a book. So I wrote Dickheads and Debauchery. I didn't have the balls yet to write about my police career because when I was writing my police books, the the two things I didn't want to do was I don't want to get anybody in trouble and I don't want to get anybody divorced. You know what I mean? I'm not, you know, it's like, were there people I work with that I didn't like? Yeah, but I'm not one. I'm not one. I'm not sour grapes. I got a great life. I'm not looking to cause anybody any problems. So with my books, all these things happen, but I change the dates. I change the locations. I, I, I don't put the people's real names in there. You know what I mean? I'll go with nicknames and things like that. Mm-hmm. So when I, I wrote the NYPD through the looking glass, I just couldn't believe the positive response to it. Like 
when you write a book, it's like you put it out there and you just kind of like, okay, what are the reviews going to be? Are people going to come out of the woodwork and hate you? And, you know, but it was just the opposite. I was getting all these phone calls and people, you know, people find you on the internet and it's like, oh, I love your book. And, you know, you should write more. And so that's just, it just became like a cottage industry. So now, I mean, I got a notepad in my car. I got a notepad in my living room. I got a notepad. And when I think of a story or a character name, I'll just write it down. And when I have time, I'll go back to it and I'll just start flushing it out, flushing it out. But I'm struggling with this book because I can't write in chronological order. I'm just not that talented. Hmm. So my books are just when I get a thought and a story and I just run with it. Very smart. Nice. Do you ever read any other like ex-police officers books? Like there's one guy that's like super famous. His name is uh, David Pilates and he does the missing 411 books. I've never read any of his books, but I do read a lot of true crime. I love true crime. Um, not really fiction, but uh, yeah, I, I've read a lot of retired cops or um, just uh, mafia books or um, crews that got taken down that were, you know, doing burglaries, robberies, homicides. Um, reading, I've read this book 30 years ago. I'm reading it again. It's called Murder Machine. Hmm. It's a great book. Um, it's about a crew, uh, a crew of Gambino guys out in Brooklyn in the late 70s. It's probably late 80s. And they probably killed about 250. 50 people in this bar over time. Jesus. Oh man, that is awesome. All right. Um, all right. Last question. How can people get your books? All my books are available on Amazon. Um, you can just type in my name, Vic Ferrari under author, or go, go to my, my last book, NYPD law and disorder. And, um, you know, you can find my author page and all my books. Awesome. All right, Baders, actually in the show notes, go down to the show notes. We're going to have all the links to all his books right down there. Click on all of them. Buy all of them. Stay up late. Don't drink. Well, no, actually drink. Drink and read the books. Don't drink and read the books. Get paid to read the book. Well, do whatever you want to do, but buy the books, read the books, because I mean, dude, if you're enjoying this podcast right now, you're going to love these books. You're going to absolutely love these books. This is fantastic. Vic, we are going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to read the bizarre weekly crazy news of Japan. All right. Faders, we'll catch you in a few seconds after our sponsors. Peace. Tokyo and craving soul food? We've got just the place for you. Soul Food House in Azabujuban. Check out what we do at soulfoodhouse.com. Come by and taste the love. We look forward to feeding you. If you're going to get your fade on, you got to get your fade on in style. And that's why I use Ghost Town Palmade. Ghost Town Palmade is the number one badass palmade, and I practice what I preach. When I leave this house, if I'm not wearing a hat, if I'm not wearing a lid, I'm wearing Ghost Town Palmade in my hair. This stuff is amazing. It smells good, it looks good, and it feels good. Ghost Town Palmade, badass palmade. And let me tell you one thing, it comes in a lid. That's pretty badass. This whole world is so nerfed up these days. Everything is plastic and pink, but not Ghost Town Palmade. This stuff is a man's palmade, and it is hardcore. It's so hardcore, it's from Oakland, California. Oakland, California. That's right. Ghost Town Palmade. Get your feet on in style. Proper. Hey, yo, what's up, Baders? Johnny here. You know I love booze and news, but I also love art. So come on down to thespiltink.com and check my art out. 
I've got tons of stuff there for you to check out. And I've got paintings, I've got prints, I've got videos. And I tell you what, if you like a painting, I could probably sell it to you. And I tell you what, if I can't sell you that painting, I will definitely sell you a print. I've got prints of all my work. Prints are about 2,000 N each, about 20 bucks. But if you buy two, you get the third one for free. So come on down to thespiltink.com. Yo, and on top of that, I'm looking for commissioned work. So if there's something that you want me to do, I can make it for you. Just check out my stuff and see if you like my style. And if you like my style, I can definitely paint you anything on canvas, paper, whatever. I've done it all. So come on down to thespiltink.com. That is T-H-E-S-P-I-L-T-I-N-K.com. Thespiltink.com. Prepa. Are you at Harajuku with some out-of-town friends or your family or significant others? Yeah! Do you want to chill and drink beer and eat sandwiches while your friends overpay for glitter unicorn socks? Yeah! And the flavor's gonna make you complete. At Harry's Sandwich Company. So come on down to Harry's Sandwich Company in the heart of Harajuku, right off Takeshita Street. See you there! Yo, what's up, faders? It's your boy, Johnny. I have an opportunity for you. Well, in fact, I have 50 opportunities for you. A few years ago, I painted all 50 American states. And in each and every state, I painted in all major city names, the state's cultural icons, pop culture that pertains to that specific state, and a whole lot more fun, interesting, and educationally groovy stuff. The project took me over eight months to complete, and now they're yours forever. I have digital prints available for download on the Spilt Inks Etsy shop. These prints started off at about five bucks a pop, but not anymore. These high-resolution prints are a dollar each. They're yours for a dollar each. So brighten up your walls and expand your mind with your favorite state. These prints are a dollar each, and they're worth so much more. These are these, these paintings are absolutely incredible. You're gonna love them. And if you don't like the state project, that's cool. That's cool. Johnny still has love for you. But check out the Spilled Inks Etsy shop to find all sorts of other wild art that will save your soul and blow your mind. So go down to the show notes for a direct link to the Spilled Inks Etsy shop. Go there, shop away, support the show because we love you and we love art too. So faders, without further ado, enjoy the show. Mitsuya Liquors. Yo, what's up, faders? If you're in Asia, if you're in Japan, if you're in Tokyo, if you're in Asagaya, you better get down to Mitsuya Liquors. That's right. For the most affordable prices in Japan, you can get over 300 different kinds of beer. That's right. Over 300 different kinds of beer. And of course, they got all the shochu you need, all the sake you need. And of course, they got wine from California to Italy to France to New Zealand. They got it all. When I say they got it all, they really, seriously got it all. There's no joke about that. So get down to Mitsuya Liquors. And if you go in there and you say, got fit of Japan, you will be more than welcome to go into their back room and drink those beers that you just purchased. That's right. Got fit of Japan at Mitsuya Liquors. And three times a week, they have a sushi chef there. So get your sushi on, get your drink on, get your fade on, and come on down to Mitsuya Liquors, located comfortably in Asagaya. About five-minute walk from the station. It's your liquor. And we are back, faders. Those commercials were amazing. You should support 
each and every one of our sponsors, all of them, especially the Spilt Ink. Oh, my God, the Spilt Ink. You got to support that guy. <laughs> I don't know who he is. He's kind of like Batman. Nobody knows who Batman is except for Bruce Wayne. Anyway, um, let's move forward to our strange, bizarre and interesting weekly news. Now, our first article that we have, um, Jeremy is going to take it from here. Jeremy, boom. Here goes Jeremy, and um, the name is uh, um, Consequence. Okay, so a Fukuoka man, 59 years old, killed parents because uh, caring for them interrupted his anime viewing. Hmm. Yeah, that's very inconsiderate. Those dickhead fucking 80-year-old parents. Okay, uh, uh, in Fukuoka, where I live, I'll give you that, a 59-year-old man in custody for allegedly leaving corpses of his parents inside a refrigerator in their residence in Fukuoka City last month has admitted to killing them. He, uh, The police have revealed that uh, in reports to the Asahi uh, Shimbun on July 5th. According to the police, Junji Matsumoto of no known occupation, jobless, uh, uh, you used to specify use unspecified means to kill his uh, parents, both of them. 88 year old Haru uh, Hiro Kazu and 87 year old Maki. Uh, I'm assuming Matsumoto around the around the uh, the night of June 21st. The suspect carried out his crime due to stress caused. Uh, by serving as a nurse, it became troublesome when they, uh, when when caring for the parents, they kept interrupting his anime viewing. I couldn't stand it anymore, so I killed them. <laughs> on June twenty eighth, a uh, on on June twenty eighth, officers working off a tip entered the residence of Fukuoka City Nishi Ward, also where I live, just down the street from me, and found the bodies inside a glass door of an industrial uh, refrigerator. Wow. So this guy was watching his little little cartoons and he couldn't take it because mama kept asking him questions. And so he decided to cut mama's head off. Yeah, he is a sick fuck. Definitely. Vic, first place he's living, oh. Yeah, first place he's 59 and he lives with his parents. That 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 should be a warning sign right there. You guys got any opinion on this story? Vic at some point, his parents should have kicked his ass out of the nest before it got to that. Fuck yeah, dude. I, I remember leaving my house when I was 16 and never looking back. I never asked my parents for a dime after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they said he said that he killed them, but they, they don't know how he killed them. So how do you think he killed them? I'm thinking like a controller, like a Nintendo controller or something. They strangled them or something like that. I'm, it's Japan, bro. I'm thinking samurai sword. He fucking decapitated them. No, probably but he's fucking... a nerd. He's a nerd. Okay, he used his Haroken. And uh, with his, his magical powers, you know, because they fuck with his cartoons. Oh, God. Well, cartoons in Japan are really popular. I, I don't really watch them, them so much myself, but uh, I got some friends that watch a lot of anime. Oh, man. Um... You know, I would hate I'm, to be I'm his lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'd hate to be his lawyer because he says, quote, it became troublesome when caring for my parents always interrupted my anime viewing. I couldn't stand it, so I killed them. Dude, fucking dude. His lawyer's going to be like, fuck, man. Oh, Bro, he, stop it, talking to the newspapers, you dick. You're making it harder. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with the uh, defense. 
Yeah, but if you're 59 years old and you're living with your parents, you're probably not long for this world anyway. You have a very good point, sir. True. But here, here in Japan, like um, unmarried, unmarried children, unmarried children stay with their parents for some reason for years. Yep. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, the first time my parents said, "You live under my roof, you're gonna follow my rules." I'm like, as soon as I get a fucking job, as soon as I'm old enough to work, I am getting the fuck out of this place. Dude, yeah. I ran away at 14. <laughs> uh, I, I was out of my, I was out of my parents' house at 16 and surfing couches until I could join the army. Yeah. Yeah. No, man. Yeah. Well, this guy is obviously, well, maybe they got a really nice TV. <laughs> maybe, like, yeah. Maybe they had HBO. Maybe they had HBO. Yeah. It's like, God, no one's going to be paying that out. cable bill anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know their, I don't know their net, I don't know their Netflix passwords, so I can't move out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Vic, your story. Footwear fetish land suspect shoe thief in hot water again. When law enforcement in Japan makes an arrest for theft, the stolen goods are often displayed evenly separated on a large blue tarp. One reason for the practice is so that local police departments can boast of the results of its investigative prowess. But there's also the possibility of the rightful owner seeing the lost property in the media and making a claim, which can lead to additional charges against the suspect. That was the case in Murak. Murakami City earlier this month following the arrest of a male company employee who was suspected in the theft of dozens of pairs of women's shoes. The local <laughs> police department may have its work cut out for itself in finding the owners, but this is the well-worn, so to speak, territory. <laughs> I they get it. That's a funny joke. Dust- okay. Who wrote it? They arrested well, the same well, suspects. They arrested the same suspects. They arrested the same suspect seven years ago for the same crime. I've been interested in shoes worn by women since I was a kid. It happened. On June 10th, the Murakami police station displayed 139 pairs of nurses' shoes, high heel pumps, and sandals atop the requisite blue tarp. Thus far, thus far, police have accused 47-year-old Tusami Asabe, an office worker living in Murakami, in one theft. Around 6 p.m. on March 2nd, he allegedly trespassed into the office of Murakami and stole one pair of sandals valued at 500 yen. Beforehand, the police in question installed the security camera system after after it experienced thefts of women's shoes. Footage from the camera led to the arrest of Asabe on suspicion of theft and trespassing on May 19th. He was prosecuted nine days later. I've been interested in shoes worn by women since I was a kid, he told police and admitting to allegations. I've been stealing them for several several years. During the investigation, police searched the residence of Asobe and Murakami. Investigators found 139 pairs of shoes, 77 of which were nurses' shoes, packed in cardboard boxes, originally from model toys placed under his bed inside a closet. Yeah, he's got issues, like a lot of issues. I don't even know where to begin with this fucking guy. You know, it's funny. I got two quick shoe stories. When Donald Trump, long before he was president, there was he was married to this woman before Melania. He was married to this woman called uh, Marla Maples. I think it was that wife. And there was a guy that was stealing his wife's shoes. I remember. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that was that was like a big deal. I think the guy went to jail for it because he was actually breaking into the. I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was a story with that. And I was down at Ground Zero on nine eleven. I was actually walking around. 
um, probably by about one o'clock on 9-11. And the one thing I will never forget, so you got all this toxic dust just blowing down on us that looks like a nuclear wasteland. It looks like someone took perfection and sugar and spread it all over everything. Right on. Yeah. One thing I will never forget walking down Broadway was in the midst of all this dust on the ground, I saw thousands upon thousands of women's shoes because all the women that worked in the financial district took off their high heel shoes and could run flat, flat footed, barefoot, then they could better on the high heel shoes. So sure. that guy should have been down there because there was thousands of women's shoes that I saw down at Ground Zero that day. Wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. I not, so, not technically not funny. <laughs> yeah, because. That's no, not tragedy. funny, but it really yeah. happened. Well, it's, it's yeah, it literally happened. Yeah, story. it literally happened. Yeah. But this guy, this guy was a fucking crazy. This guy. He was in there sniffing shoes, man. What a what a freak! He's got a foot fetish. No, nah, man, this guy's tricking off into shoes, man. He smells one and jerks off into the other, dude. That's what they do. Not there's that a, I know. The whole there's a whole there's a whole thing on Pornhub about about getting jerked off by feet. That's a weird little fetish corner. Oh, the Japanese Pornhub. Oh yeah, yeah. that's really dark. Yeah, man. <laughs> he's like a serial. He's a serial footer. But you know what? This could be grand theft because some of these shoes are really expensive. Especially yeah, if, if they added up the value, you're 100% right. All right. I got a question. How much time should this guy get? Was he, was he break? Where was he? I was reading and I really wasn't listening to it. Is, um, was he break? Where was he getting the shoes from? They're used shoes from nurses. Well, from all over the place. He's breaking into people's houses. He's anywhere, anywhere he can get these shoes and sandals. He's grabbing them, man. This guy is just insane, dude. He's got sticky fingers for the leather and the pavement. Yeah, he well, just he, grab. He's just grabbing shoes wherever he finds them. It's 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 it's. So if you take a step back and look at it, right? It, it's it's with the more dangerous crime. It's not it's not the theft of the shoes. It, it's going into someone's house, and right when on. you go into someone's house, things can get ugly really quick, right? Especially so, in Texas. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I mean, someone could have he could have surprised some old woman and given her a heart attack. She could have died. Someone could have came at him with a knife because they don't know what the hell he's in there for, and he could have stabbed them to death, or he could have lost his life. So. The, the way I look at it is that's a burglary. And if there's multiple burglaries, he's dangerous. He shouldn't be going into people's houses. So I, I think he should get the book thrown at him. Look, if he if he was a cleaner in a fucking gym and he was taking the shoes out, all right, he's a weirdo. Maybe he needs help. But if he's actually if 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 this fetish is driving him to enter people's homes where things can get ugly and dangerous, then he should go to jail or, or a psychiatric ward for a long time. Nice, dude. We need a guy like you on the show. <laughs> hey, hey, Vic, check this out, man. Check this out. In 1996, I had a I had a house that was like right on the corner of this like seedy little neighborhood. I it, it was a small house. I, I I could afford that for me and my family, but I, I bought it and then uh, it was on the corner next to a bar. So one day I'm sitting in there Japan? watching X Files on video in Japan. In Japan. Okay. One, one day I'm sitting there watching X-Files on videotape. This is how long ago it was. X-Files would come over to Japan on videotape. That's the only way you could get it. Yeah. And I was watching I was watching the latest X-Files, and it's it's dark in my house, and I'm watching it. And um, out of the corner of my eye, I see, the, I see this window go like... <laughs> and then, then I see a little stubby leg pop in that window. I'm like... I'm sitting there drinking. I'm like, what the fuck? I look up. 
And this guy is like coming in backwards. I see his ass coming in, in, yeah. into my house, and and he, and he drops down from the window, and, he, and he's in he's in my living room now. And I'm like sitting at the table, and he's he's looking the opposite way of me. He's looking around, like he just broke into the place, looking around. Then he turns around. And he sees this giant fucking foreigner, me, sitting at the he's table a big drinking a whiskey. Guy. Yeah, drinking a whiskey. And, and as soon as he turns around, I look at him and I just like tackle him. Boom. And I put him on the ground and I just start beating the shit out of this guy. Boom, 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 boom. It, it, I'm beating the shit out of this guy so bad. It wakes my wife up. She comes downstairs. She's like, what the fuck is going on? And I drag this guy outside and I throw him onto the street and cars are stopping and shit because I just threw him onto the street. And then like, uh. <laughs> The, the owner of the bar across the street comes out and says, ah, oh, you know, Sima Sen, Sima Sen, you know, like, which, excuse us, excuse us. Uh, he's a customer of ours. Uh, he's he's a little bit drunk. He's out of his mind. We're, we're going to take care of him. We're going to take care of him. And then she took him away. And, and then I called the police, and the police came out, and the police interviewed her, and they interviewed, you know, like uh, like all the people at the bar, and they, they were like, checking my hands and stuff like that like uh, what happened did you assault this guy and the first thing they want to do is they want to blame the foreigner for assaulting somebody and I'm like no this guy broke into my fucking house and I caught him and I beat the fuck out of this guy yeah and, and this happened like uh, just just like in 1996 man like right in front of me it was, it was it was it was completely fucking crazy I bet he was in there trying to look for shoes you've got some big feet man he would have loved your shoes Oh, he would have been sniffing those for days, man. Oh, my God. For years. years. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. All right. So this guy should definitely go to prison for a long time. All right. Moving on to the next story. Oh, man. All right. Here we go. This story took, takes place in Osaka. Osaka, I used to do. Here we go. Teacher arrested for requesting young girl to send naked selfies. Okay. Osaka Prefectural Police have arrested a 32-year-old male junior high school teacher on suspicion of violating the child prostitution and pornography law. He allegedly requested nude photos from a minor he met on a members-only social networking site. Members-only should be 18 and up, I think. <clears throat> According he to... Die. Yeah, this guy should fucking... Oh. Ugh, he's got to go to hell. Okay. According to police, Masahiro Ueno uh, asked an underage girl to take nude images of herself and send them to him by smartphone in mid-June, Senki Shimbun reported. Police said he told them he was fully aware that the girl who lives in Osaka, i.e. Studio Prefecture, was a minor. <clears throat> Police said Wednesday that after the teacher and the girl became acquaintances on the social networking site, he began sending messages to the girl to, quote, show him more, end quote. Uh, fuck this guy. Yeah, this guy's a creep. Fuck this um, dude. Fuck this dude in the fucking face. Uh, this prompted the girl to disclose these sexual messages with, quote, concerned people, end quote who then contacted police. I don't know who these concerned people are, but I hope it's her parents. Please. Yeah, I, would hope. Know, I hope so. A concerned people could be like, what? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I'm a concerned people. Yeah. I'm a concerned person too. I'll call the cops. Leave uh, the please, kids alone. 
leave the kids alone. Police said Wayno has admitted to the charge. Okay, dude, fucking yeah. Um, faders do not go on social networking sites, especially members only. What the fuck is a members only so- social networking site? What is that? What What does that mean? Do you guys know? I don't even know. Is that yeah, you, you go on there to fuck kids. Apparently, that's terrible. Members only was a jacket in, 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 in the '80s. Yeah, like in the Sopranos. Oh, remember that? That's right. I remember that in Sopranos. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I think that might be Twitter. Twitter's members only, quote unquote. Anyway, you know what? Fucking when I have kids in the future, I'm not going to let them fucking use Twitter. Half the stories we have that have really dark endings with kids being on fucking social networking is always Twitter. Twitter, 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 Twitter. Twitter's bad, man. Fucking nothing bad happens from Facebook except for your parents fucking finding out that you smoke cigarettes or something. But Twitter is fucking dark, dude, especially on here, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts? Well, Jeremy, I think, Jeremy, I think I know your thoughts. Yeah, my thoughts is he should die. How? How about you, Vic? What do you think? Go to jail for a long, long time. All right, cool. All right. Better than dying. Worse than dying. Better. All right. Long time. Okay, I'm going to go with long. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um. Vic, it's your turn. You've got the last story for the show. The last story of this episode. Okay, hold on. Uh, man arrested over murder of online video game acquaintance. Oh, this <laughs> old take, shit. Sounds like in Japan they take their video games quite quite seriously. Oh, yeah. Don't fuck Dude. around, man. We don't fuck around. When gaming right. goes wrong. Here we go. Police in Tokyo have arrested a 32-year-old man on suspicion of killing a male acquaintance in his 30s. The suspect... Yusaki Saki, of no fixed occupation, I guess that means unemployed, turned himself into a police station at Shinko on Friday, saying he killed a man by stabbing him in the neck. Saki's sixth floor apartment around 5 a.m. that day, Kyoto News reported. Police said Saki told them he had known the victim for about two years after they acquainted, they became acquainted through playing video games online. Saki was quoted by police as saying there had been money troubles between them and that he, the victim had assaulted him on a number of occasions. He had threatened him again and stabbed the victim out of fear for his own life. So there's always two sides to every, there's three sides to every story. What he said, what she said, and what really happened, you know, is, is, is his story plausible? It could be. Could he have killed a guy and now he's coming up with a bullshit story to kind of get from underneath that rock that he's underneath? That's also highly possible. I totally want to fucking play that game, though. (laughs) (laughs) How awesome is that game? That game's got to be so good. (laughs) Tech in 3D. Dude, fucking, when you first read it, I was like, God, dude, he killed him at a game. Shouldn't go to jail for that. (laughs) People kill each other in games all the time. It's part of, like, culture. That's true. The point is killing people in the game, yeah. That's insane. That's insane. All right. Well, fucking faders, listen, don't commit crimes regarding otaku stuff or, well, anything otaku stuff. In fact, actually, don't commit crimes at all. Don't commit crimes. Don't do anything bad. Just get faded and listen to this podcast. And speaking of this podcast, Vic, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. I've, dude, this has been. I mean, it's really late here in Tokyo. It's like fucking way, 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 way uh, early in the morning at this point. But, um, dude, I'm wide awake. I'm fucking wired. I've had a bunch of beers. I'm fucking having a blast. I'm having a ball of the time. Jeremy, how about you? You having a good time? 
Dude, I've had such a great time hanging out with Vic and hearing these stories. I want to hear. I want to see Vic in a movie hanging off the edge of a helicopter, shooting motherfuckers on the four hundred five. You know, like uh, throwing, <laughs> yeah. throwing knives and ninja stars. Holy shit, this guy's a badass. Badass. Yeah, yeah. Those days are over. I'll tell you a funny story. When that that warehouse I was telling you about, when they were shipping the stolen cars out of the country, my lieutenant wanted us to go out to the aviation unit, which was out in Brooklyn, and they wanted us to go in a helicopter and take photos of this warehouse. I'm not getting in a helicopter. And um, my lieutenant goes, well, I'm ordering you. I says, I'm not getting in a fucking helicopter. That's just not my thing, man. I don't do heights. So my partner went, cancer. <laughs> I don't mind going in the helicopter. Fucking cancer. Maybe I'll try to see if I can get him Fucking ninja stars. Fucking just ninja stars, ready to rock. Cancer, you bad motherfucker. Next, we gotta get cancer on the fucking podcast. Oh my he, god, cancer yeah. still cancer still lives up in New York. I do talk to him probably every couple of months. I'll give him a call, but I'll give him I'll give you regards. Fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah dude. He always says he goes, you cancer in here, man. Let's see, let's see how many motherfuckers that dude killed. Dude, actually, if cancer was on this podcast, me and Jeremy would not say anything. He would tell story after story after story after story after story, and we'd just be there. Yes, sir. Thank you. One more. Well, Jeremy yes, would like him. To, Jeremy like would Oliver. Like, well, yeah, well, Jeremy would like cancer. He's also a martial artist, so you guys would have a lot to fucking talk. Fucking cancer would enter in 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 the fucking podcast with a nunchuck display. Holy shit! This motherfucker sounds badass. Pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> And what's also badass, Fader, are these books. Faders, you gotta get your hands on these books. You gotta go down into the show notes and you gotta check out these books. You gotta buy these books. You gotta tell your friends about these books. Basically, what I said before is completely the truth. This right here is the tip of the iceberg. Buy these books, support this guy. You know, you know what's gonna happen when you support Vic? He's gonna write more books. And when he writes more books, that means you're gonna get more stories. This is like Christmas three times a year because he's gonna write three books a year, right, Vic? Just say yes. Oh man, yeah. there we go, there we go. That's fantastic. So go into the show notes and buy, 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 buy. Presents for your friends, presents for your family, presents for Christmas, bar mitzvahs, whatever you got. Fucking, these are fantastic. Vic, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a blast. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. Well, on that note, faders, thank you so much for tuning in to Got Faded Japan. It's been a pleasure fading with you. We hope you had a wonderful time. And um, Jeremy, we got some things to talk about right now. We've got Patreon. Faders, we got the Patreon. We got uh, Got Faded Japan YouTube? after dark. We got YouTube now. Yes, we just started a YouTube page. Yes, we're late to the game. Late to the game. Don't sue us. Give us some love. We're giving you guys tons of videos every single week. And um, yeah, also Patreon. we got some stuff that's too hot for YouTube. So uh, check that out. Oh, Comple- completely legal. Completely legal. And um, yeah, check that out. That's totally cool. And um, yeah, we've got, uh, let's see, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're going to start working on the Twitters a little bit more and stuff. But um, yeah, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon, by the way. Um, yeah, all you guys, you know who you are. I don't want to see your names because... Uh, you don't want to get in trouble with the wives. <laughs> nah. This stuff is really racy. <laughs> um, on that note, um, guys, thank you so much for staying up this late. Well, Jeremy, Jeremy, thank you so much for staying up this late. And uh, Vic, Always, thank man. you for waking up so early and hanging out with us. Wow. Oh, shit. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Had a great time, Vic. Thank you so much, man. Hey, guys, do you guys ever need a guest? Reach out. 
Oh, I, I had a plan. You guys, uh, you, you, you guys got a good, uh, I do a lot of interviews. You guys are good. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun. I, I was on one yesterday. I wanted to pull the hair out of my head with a set of vice grips. I understand, man. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And, uh, Betis, we'll catch you on the flip side. Peace. Go fuck yourselves. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. I've got a government job to abuse and a lonely wife to fuck. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. God, the pressure! I can't take it! I can't take it! I can't stand to it! You sure I should do this, man? We're good! Freaky! We came, we saw, we kicked his ass! Your move, creep. Oh, man. I will never forgive your ass for this shit. This is a fucked up repugnant shit. Ah, fuck it, dude. Let's go bold.